This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, hello there. I'm Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center. And it's my privilege today to welcome you to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Uh, Recently, a now former pastor in the Chicagoland suburb uh, used his final sermon to explain to his congregation why he was leaving not only that church, but pastoral ministry in general. And that caused quite a bit of discussion among us at the Hendricks Center. He cited research from the Barna Group that shows that 42% of pastors, 42% of pastors have considered quitting within the past year. And among the reasons that uh, Barna noted uh, were the top five, the immense stress of the job, uh, feeling lonely and isolated, uh, current political divisions, not simply in the church but in the culture, uh, being unhappy with the effect that that role of pastor has had on their family, or not optimistic about the future of their church. And this particular pastor said, quote, I can relate to all of these, but in particular, The top two are the ones that figured heavily into my decision, the stress of the job and feeling lonely and isolated. And then he said this, which I thought was fascinating. Being a pastor, is this his opinion, being a pastor is is like being a parent. You can imagine what it's like to have a child, but until you're in that role, you cannot fully appreciate what it's like to shoulder the responsibility of caring for a life 24-7. Well, parenting certainly is a calling, but pastoral ministry is also a calling. And while that calling, just like parenting, has significant challenges, it's also a noble calling and an incredibly important calling. And we've invited our guest today to talk about that incredible calling that the minister has and why that calling is worth the commitment. Dr. Kevin Wilson is pastor of Bethel Memorial Church in Princeton, Indiana. He is a, uh, has a bachelor's degree from Southeastern Bible College in pastoral theology and is a graduate THM from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he has also ministered the Word in Hungary uh, through the Word of Life Institute, and he's contributed uh, a chapter to the, on Ephesians to Dr. Paul Weaver's book, Surveying the Pauline Epistles. Uh, Kevin, you're married to your wife of 38 years, Linda, and you have, I understand, three grandchildren. Three, and a, three children. Three and, children. And one, one grandchild on the and way. And one grandchild on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. And he plays pickleball. So there you have it. <laughs> there you go. But we get a double portion of God's Spirit today because we also have with us Dr. Stephen Bramer, who is the department chair and professor of Bible exposition here at Dallas Seminary. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. We, we love to have faculty, and particularly faculty from Bible X, so thank you for representing your... Good. Well, we love Bible exposition. We think <clears throat> that's the best. Well, there you go. Well, we'll come back to that. But uh, 
Kevin, tell us a little bit about your own background. I certainly want to jump into these issues that I've raised, but uh, you know, where was growing up, family schooling, and of course, uh, tell us about your own calling to the pastoral ministry. So I was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, my mom and dad were on the front end of a little Bible church plant there, and uh, grew up. My dad was always an elder, most of the time the chairman of the board, I think. Um, so we had no choice. We were, you know, we <laughs> were around and uh, involved. And uh, looking back, that has been a huge impact on my life because I got to see and do a lot of things. Maybe not always willingly, but I got experience in that. So I'm grateful. Um, came to Christ um, when I was nine. Congratulations! Uh, my, my dad's That's wonderful. My dad's. Uh, Kind of persistent question about my faith, and hmm. um, when I went to Sunday school, when we I rode home with him, and he I always had to have an answer because he would always ask because he wasn't sitting by me. What What did you learn in Sunday school today? <laughs> so I either had to make up an answer or come up with. And so this one day in class, God over the conviction of God was just I'd heard the gospel you know hundreds of times growing up, but it just, made sense. Just, it was, and so he asked me what I learned in Sunday school, and I just started to cry. Nine years old, wow. I started to ball. He pulled the car over. We're a mile from my house. He knew he, something was he up. He just pulled it over right there, and he said, you need to trust Jesus, don't you? And so, so grateful for his sensitivity um, and persistence, you know. So I grew up in that church, um, didn't know what I wanted to do post-high school, went to – our pastors had come from this little Bible college in Birmingham, Southeastern, and most of the Southeastern's profs had come from Dallas Seminary. Mm -hmm. And so um, I knew I could go there and play basketball, sit on the bench because they didn't hardly <laughs> cut anybody. And I wasn't very good, but I really loved it. And so I went and went back a second year um, knowing I had to make a decision. Um, my folks were gracious, but said, "If you're not doing ministry, we need to get you on a track mm -hmm. for a career." Yeah. So the second year, you have to declare a major, and I didn't knowing no better. Most of the guys were pastoral theology majors, so I said, "I'll do that," which means you have to take homiletics. Hmm. Um, and um, our professor was a, a, a wonderful man, um, Dr. John Talley, was his name. He'd been a Vietnam chaplain. He was uh, we called him God's bulldog. Um, he would I'm rip, sure he didn't suffer fools gladly. He, no, yeah, <laughs> he he would he would rip us as young preachers appropriately. So he would just put us where we belonged. And uh, so the end of that year, the, the call in ministry wasn't you know um, fireworks or yeah. lightning strikes for me. I walked out of class, homiletics class, the end of my second year, and uh, not still knowing what to do. And Dr. Talley followed me out, and then he said, "Stop a minute." And when he talked, you you pretty much just locked it down. And he said, "What do you What are you doing? What do you What do you think God's got for you?" And I mm. said, "Doctor Telly, I have no idea." And and this is the man that had taken my sermons apart and and bled all over my papers. He said, "I think the Lord is calling you to be a pastor." Wow. Mm. And I was just I just stood there for a bit, and I went back and picked up the phone and called my folks, and I said, "Mom, Dad, I think." God wants me to be a pastor. <laughs> and so that was – God used him, a man yeah. like Dr. Bramer right. does in, in my life, to really just push me to where I think God wanted me to go. Um, so grateful. And I take it because of that uh, exposure at Southeastern and the professors from DTS, then yeah. when seminary time, it was yeah. like, well – Yeah. My dad said no cho no options. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of – you know, he was, he was not a minister, but he loved and he knew. He knew and had read, taught – Sunday school forever. He said, "You going to Dallas Seminary?" Wow. I didn't. I didn't argue with him. Sure, you know, grateful to come. So my wife and I marry, go on a honeymoon, come back to Dallas. We don't know, you know, a soul, and we jump into seminary here. That, uh, is that where you met Stephen? No, I didn't. I didn't know that. 
I only know Dr. Bramer. Well, he, he knows my son in Hungary, so he went to oh, teach over okay, there. So right. that's how he yeah. went to Hungary to connect Yeah, yeah. Right. And, I met I met uh, yeah. Stephen yes. in Hungary, and um, I watched Dr. Bramer preach. A, our, our assistant pastor is a 2006 grad, okay, um, Kyle Powell, and he. Sings Dr. Bramer's. He really loves Dr. Bramer. So there was this sermon on Jehoshaphat I listened to, was really encouraged by, and so I was grateful to get to meet him personally. So you guys got to know each other. Yeah, we just we just getting met to know and each get, other, getting yeah. to know each other now. That's yes. great. Um, so Mary, my wife, come to DTS. I mentioned in chapel today. Our oldest was born here, mm. um, 35 years old, has special needs. Mm-hmm. So really, just turned our world just yeah. upside down. Sure. Um, I, I tell folks, and of course, it, n- nobody ever plans to have right. a child with special, special needs. needs. And so um, she has taught me inordinate things about life and ministry. So she's with us, uh, 35 years old, has a wonderful ministry of encouragement to so many people. Yeah. Um, humble Praise servant God. of God, I call her. Um, kind of one of my heroes, really, in the ministry. And we have a daughter who is married to a young man that just took a pastorate, part-time pastorate just north of us. Really thrilled about that, and my son is a, a physical therapy assistant and does worship for us in the church part time. Um, so they're all kind of around. I'm I'm so blessed to have them close and loving the Lord. Kevin, when when you had that special needs daughter, did that affect your call to ministry? You know, <laughs> y- y- your life is changing, and there's going to be mm-hmm. uniquenesses. Did that yeah. affect your call? It, um, Great question. To to be honest. Really, as, as things happened, my wife taught in one Christian school down south of Dallas. Um, she was pregnant before the school year started, so they said, we can't, we can't keep you. We've got to have a teacher that's going to make the school year. So she was laid off. She was our prime. So I went to work at UPS at night ro- loading tractor trailers and did seminary in the daytime. So one thing that happened to me during that season when Audrey came was God knew I was really immature. I really needed to grow up. Mm. And so working at UPS at night and doing seminary in the day grew me up quickly because it was just lots of responsibility, su- survival yeah. and um, kind of grinding it out. Um, and then Audrey comes, and to be honest, when she's born with the needs, my questions to God were, "What? What? why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it's, it's pretty hard right now, Lord. Um, so, and, and of course, th- there was no clarity for the answer to that question. Except um, I, I knew a lot of theology and Bible by that time, and it was you need to start to practice mm-hmm. what you've been taught and know mm-hmm. to be true. You need to lean on me. And um, God was just so faithful. So in some ways, I think having her and walking through that while it was hard maybe firmed up that call mm-hmm. that if God is going to be faithful to our family in that circumstance, which he was, he's going to be faithful in ministry and to those that are hurting. And so she's allowed us a platform mm-hmm. to minister that we would have never had without her. So yep. really grateful for that. Um, God took us here to the middle of nowhere, I call it, to the Texas Panhandle, <laughs> an hour north yeah. of Amarillo. Yes, that is. And I was there in a, in a wonderful little church uh, for five years as a youth, the second guy on staff, learned a lot, sweet people. Um, and then we moved from there to where we are in Princeton, Indiana. At Bethel Memorial Church. And Princeton down on sort of the southern Just north of Evansville, border, down in the right? southwestern yeah, corner. Yeah, southwestern corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're talking about calling. You're here focused on calling with, with some of the lectures you're giving and so forth. 
How do you guys define calling? That, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Mm. And we, as theologians, I think, managed to really confuse that term. Yeah, you know, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren Assemblies, okay. and calling was not really mentioned because people didn't go into the ministry, Correct. you know, right. at 20-some years of age, you know. The people who were full-time workers were 40 or 50, and they had learnt the Scripture. So it was kind of a, a new term to me when I started hearing about calling, but I knew that I need to do what the Lord wanted me to do. There and, you go. Okay. And there was no, you know, going forward at a meeting or anything like that. A just growing sense that uh, God had called me. And, uh, you know, and in the Brethren, I, I couldn't go into the pastor because they didn't have they pastors, didn't have you know, so right. I, I got a chance to either go and work at a summer camp or become a teacher, and I love teaching, and so that was the direction that God took me. And it's just been, you know, it was a confirmation over a number of years at school that finally I, I knew that this is what uh, God had for me. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I would say the same. I, mean, I, uh, I know people give all kind of descriptions about experience, you know, God spoke to me in this way or that way, and I don't, I don't disparage that because I wasn't there. For me, I think more it's you pursue your giftedness humbly and stay close to the Lord and allow Him to, you know, Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, which I'm really good at. But right. if we acknowledge Him and follow Him, He's going to direct, direct our path. And yep. my experience was that's exactly what God used some people in my life to speak into. I was trying to follow, but I wasn't sure, and some people, by God's grace, saw some things in me that helped me take that next step. And so it was more a process of just trying to follow the Lord. Mm. Well, you mentioned Dr. Talley's influence, and, uh, uh, you know, I, as you know, uh, grew up in a Christian home, been part of a church since nine months before I was born. So, mm. you know, this issue of calling has been around from the, from the get-go. Um, and I'm not asking people to necessarily buy this. I'm just saying how I've thought about it now for over many years, and particularly through the lens of my specialization, which is people's giftedness. Um, and it, and it works like this. You know, you say, well, does God speak? You know, audibly to people. I, I don't want to really so much get into that debate, but I think most of us, if somebody came to us and said, hey. You know, this morning there was like this conversation that I had with God, and He said this, and and you know, be thinking, well, maybe we need to get you over the counseling department, you mm -hmm. know, to yeah. check those voices out, right? But uh, in in recent decades, I've come to think, you know, I actually think that God does speak through voices, but it's actually human voices mm -hmm. that He actually uses certain people and their gifts. And one of those gifts or a dimension of that gift is to see in someone that which indeed God has put in them. So mm -hmm. in your case, Dr. Talley mm -hmm. says, son, I think God's calling you into the pastorate. Now, mm -hmm. he's summarizing a whole lot of observations there, right? right? And hearing you give your first faltering sermons and right. so forth. But he's going, this kid's got potential. This mm -hmm. kid's got a gift. This kid's got something that we look for when we say you should be – a pastor, and so in one sense, by by him speaking up, God is using him, you know, to direct your paths, mm -hmm. as the proverb says, mm -hmm. and uh, and it sounds like it was very effective. Yeah, in, in my life, you're, what you just defined is pretty much the story. Hmm. It also makes me mindful as I speak into other people's lives, especially the ones that are considering the ministry. 
that, and I'm I don't know how God's going to use it, but it's not insignificant. Yeah. I mean, it can have impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm grateful for that, and also a little taken back sometimes. Well, there's a tremendous responsibility right. that goes. Right. You say something, somebody's liable to take you seriously. Right, right, right. And yet, when you when you see someone who the light comes on in their eyes, and they go, "Wow." I hadn't thought of that, but maybe you're right. And then they they go forward and they lean into it, and and God shows up, and the gift, the Holy Spirit inhabits their gift, and there's fruit. Right. What a joy to feel like you unleash something for the kingdom. Right. Yeah, and so many people have giftedness that could go into ministry, but that could be used in so many ways. Many and so other there is that well. that pull sometimes, exactly. you know, especially in our culture that's going to emphasize, you know, getting ahead and financial benefits and everything, you know, to to say, well, I'm going to go and serve the Lord and realizing that this is not what all my friends will be going into who we've grown up together. I, th- I think it's a, it's a real challenge. Right. It is. Kevin, you you have used the phrase. I, I it's it stuck out to me. Uh, incredible calling. Now I've heard uh, many people talk about. Oh, so and so has a quote incredible ministry, meaning you know lots of people have responded to their preaching, or they've sold a lot of books, or you know they're a popular conference speaker, that sort of thing. I haven't heard that word incredible connected to the word calling, and it makes me think you see something at least different, if not more important there. I just um, – we've been What makes a calling incredible? Right, right. So we, we're doing Colossians 1 um, where Paul in the end of chapter 1 kind of talks about his – he's elevating Christ in the book just – and then <clears throat> he talks about his ministry and, and just how – I just think what, what greater calling is there hmm. than to – in whatever forum yeah. to teach – the word, present Christ, point people to God, encourage them in their walk with Him. And when it's all said and done, there's nothing. Hmm. It's about, I mean, my, my brother's an attorney, very successful. Um, and sometimes, you know, growing up, you go, what am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. what, what exactly? Because we're running on two different tracks in, in just about every facet of life. But as God's given me some time, and I don't, I don't do this perfectly, but perspective is a wonderful thing. I'm thinking there's nothing. I'm so grateful for God's call in my life, and, and I'm not a famous anyone. And I, you know, I live in Southern Indiana, but I'm so thankful for the calling to preach God's word and shepherd His people. I'm really grateful for that. Hmm. I was thinking of uh, Amos. Love Amos. I did my dissertation him. You know, and he's up there in the Northern King speaking, and they right. tell him to go back. Go back where you came from and earn your your wages there from prophesying, you know. And he said, you know, I don't need to go back and earn wages. I was a herdsman or a shepherd and dresser of sycamore, but the Lord took me, mm. and He called me. And you know, he, he rests His authority not in His gifts or talents, although they were there obviously for Him to speak in such a remarkable way, but the calling of the Lord. And I don't know how that happened for Amos, but He was aware that He was. Serving the Lord God mm-hmm. and a steward of whatever the Lord was asking him to speak, and so I love Amos. You know, the Lord took me. And sure. Sometimes it's that sense of calling that keeps you in the ministry. Um, yes. I'm, I, I think I've read this. I quote wanted to that get you, to that. Thank that you. you read, but because um, um, it is hard. I mean, it's a struggle, and yeah. um, in our world, it's it's very difficult. And sometimes what keeps you in it is the fact that God's called you to it, and uh, and you're, you're convinced of that. You may not be convinced that 
you can make it through the next week or, or, or the next counseling session or board meeting or whatever comes, but um, you're convinced that God's called you, and sometimes that strengthens you enough to step forward yeah. and just to continue. Another foot, another day, uh, another message. And our spouses play such a great part. Oh. Sometimes they remember our calling better than we do because we're in the midst of all this craziness, you know, and pandemic and everything. But they know that we were called. One of the reasons they probably married us, mm-hmm. our spouses, because they wanted to be involved in ministry. They wanted to make a difference in this life. I know that from my wife, Sharon. And so, you know, we need to remember it. We need to have good friends and a good spouse who, who reminds You're, us of that wonderful calling. Yeah. Um, so great to have somebody that will speak the truth to you, that loves you. And um, sometimes it's settled down. It's gonna. My wife sent me a text this morning. I'm speaking in chapel at Dallas Seminary. A little nervous about that, yeah. and she says, uh, "Remember, it's not your performance; it's God's presence." Mm, praise and God! And then praise you're God. like, "Okay." <laughs> so she can bring um, stability when I get out of balance. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Well, I'm I'm glad, Stephen, you raised this issue of wives and spouses and, and calling I, I guess the question I was going to ask you guys was, uh, you know, the, the spouse, let's say in this case, uh, a guy who's a pastor or called a pastorate, he's got his wife. So does she need to be called as a pastor's wife? Does she mm-hmm. need to – is it like a dual calling? Like I'm calling both of you into this form of endeavor – which is going to place certain expectations and responsibilities and challenges on on your spouse here and are you are is she does she need to feel like yeah that's what god has for me that's not how it worked for me <laughs> good, i don't good. think as much as so my my wife is not the upfront ladies ministry leader right. um whenever she knows the church is going to do something for us and She'd have to come up on the platform. She tries to work in the nursery mm-hmm. that Sunday, so she doesn't have to. She loves the church, love, but her, sure. her niche are children, and she's the most well, creative teacher I've ever met. Um, well, you, you, and you get into the issue of gifting there. I know many, many women who make wonderful wives to pastors have zero interest in being on a platform. Right. Yeah. And many of them even want to be sort of out of sight. I, I guess where I was really going was – just the calling right. to be with this person sure. who's going to be the, in the hot seat, mm-hmm. who's going to get the calls in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. who's going to feel that stress of, a, just like this guy said, you know, it's like children, 24-7, I, I'm on, i mm-hmm. got to take responsibility for the, this flock. Right. Is she 
prepared or, or just feel called that I will walk with this partner in that. I, I don't know that she would say she had a call of God to be a pastor's wife. Uh, she would say her story um, is she came to Bible college to play basketball, which she was much better than I was, <laughs> and to marry a good Christian guy. Not not necessarily a, a, a pastor, right. but just a, a godly good man. And you know, eternally will tell whether she actually did that or not. But um, I think by the time we're serious, she knows that that's where as God's leading us forward, I think I think we're headed here. Mm-hmm. And so her her calling would be to me, I think, as my wife, that if I'm gonna go be in ministry, she's gonna have to follow and be a part of that in whatever way God will give her the grace. And neither one of us knew, of course, all that was what, what all that was coming, but we right. had to be willing to step in it together with the Lord. And she's been a great blessing That's um, great. to me in that. Yeah, I've got a very similar story. You know, met my wife in Bible college. She did want to marry a person who was in love with Jesus and in love with the Word because she was in love with Jesus and the Word. Mm. And it wasn't really whether it was going into ministry. I think she was pretty excited when she realized that we were dating and that that's where I was headed. But similar to you, uh, Kevin, her her call was to, to support me. And I know that that sometimes sounds kind of funny in our world mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. but you know she really was committed to me. She's so committed to me that she will, you know, call me on things and make me not do ministry sometimes because she really is concerned about me and my mm-hmm. health. You know, and when I came to Dallas Seminary back in '97, you know, all these living legends walking around, including your dad, Hal Hendricks. And and, um, I remember coming home a number of nights and saying to her, what if they find out who I really am? (laughs) And she said, you've got to stop saying that. They're going to think you're hiding something. And and, I said, but you know, I can't do this. And and she looked at me real clearly and said, Mm. Stephen, they've called you because you're Stephen Bramer. And you just need to be Stephen Bramer with what God has given you. And if that isn't a fit for Dallas Seminary, that's okay. We'll move on somewhere else. I mm. just remember relaxing, Freedom. you know. And the Freedom. first time I went to preach here, you know, Shane said, what are you going to preach on? I said, well, I've been through all 66 books, and someone has written a commentary in every one of them. So I'm into the Apocrypha now, you know. <laughs> and, and, and we laughed together. But once again, you know, not comparing ourselves to others, just asking the Lord to give us a message from His Word. Mm-hmm. And, and she's been a real encouragement that way. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, both of you now have articulated that in the dark nights of the soul, which ministry does have, like mm-hmm. you know, probably so many other occupations, but we certainly know what those are, you have a, a companion come alongside and say, honey, let's go back to square one. Who called you into this? And don't you remember how you, you know, agonized in in your soul about it, and you prayed about it, and you got godly counsel, and 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 we you chose we chose this path. And if God said that in the light, then don't, don't doubt Him in the darkness. Mm-hmm. That's, that's essentially what you've said, right? Which I mean, what a joy that would be. Yeah, yeah. It's been um, it's been the anchor. Outside the Lord, obviously, but on a human level, my, my wife has been my my rock to speak sensibly when I maybe make no sense or get so flustered I don't know exactly what to yeah what to do yeah yeah grateful for that because I Lord knows and I, I even hate to say it but I again having grown up here at the seminary I I do know too many stories of people who came to seminary 
And he was all in for, you know, expository preaching and the languages and pastoral ministry and the whole, the whole thing. But she was not. And it affected their marriage while they were in seminary. But that just, you know, it was like a fuse. Because once you get out into the fray and you're actually in harness and those stresses start to come and challenges, boy, it, it's like a sword of Damocles just sitting there. Because as soon as there's a crisis, you know, you, you can just hear her voice going, well, I never wanted to do this in the first place. Mm. And unfortunately, not all of those marriages have survived. Exactly. And, and the, the sacrifice that is required to be in ministry is significant, and it's sometimes very significant in terms of traveling and how you use your money. And if your spouse and, and even your children as they grow up yeah. aren't on board saying this is important, even mm -hmm. your kids don't understand it all, but the, yeah. they know daddy's doing it for Jesus, um, th those are extremely important times to have where a wife needs to be on board. You know, she's at home with young children and you're traveling or speaking at a conference or something, and really the burden is on, on her. Mm -hmm. And if she's not called, not to specific ministry, but called to make sure that what God's that word is right. proclaimed yeah. and the gospel's preached, um, it would be difficult. And I'm sure it is difficult. I know it's been difficult for my wife at times, and that's when I've needed to remind her that, you know, together we yeah. chose this ministry. And, uh, well, that, and that's really my point. I'm not saying, you know, somebody, some woman doesn't, it's like, Pastoral wife's not what I want, you know. The, the, the the, that's not something wrong with her, no. right? But I do think that together they're going to have to make some hard choices, and they it may are. be, well, maybe God's not calling me in the ministry because if he's if he's not giving you a piece about walking with me through that, then does that raise some questions about what I've perceived as a call? Because hmm. I got to be sensitive to my wife, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a team thing. I mean, it is. You've in that sense, to, yeah. It is. Um, so if they, someone says, I'm not in, then I think you've got to really, really pause and take stock of a lot, you know. Yeah, and, and many women are not being challenged with that these days. I mean, as they go off to university, I mean, it's just, right. it's yeah. very individualistic for all of us. And as right. long as it works out that two of us can live together, yeah. we're heading in the right it's, direction. It's a what's in it for me. Culture. Yeah, right. and, and I think in the Christian world, both both women and men, you know, we're coming with this, and yet ministry doesn't work that way. So unless the Word of God can come in with good, wise advice from people and change our hearts that we really become one and are headed in the same direction using our gifts as God's given them, uh, it, it's difficult. I, I really feel for younger people going into ministry today because they need to know so much more than I do because the world's so complicated mm -hmm. and, um, and, and people aren't always wanting to hear truth from the Word. That, that, that there's stress, and so it, it is. It is harder, I think, for younger men going in today, and yet they've got such tremendous opportunities. Well, that's <laughs> what I wanted to come to. I guess we, certainly there's the Barna statistics, and you know, and it, it, at times it, it can get very distressing. Uh, but what I don't hear as much on is, and I'd love to hear from both of you because of your experience and the guys that you know. What would you say are the two to three – I mean, I know this is almost impossible to rank, but I'm really trying to get it. What are the upsides of pursuing a calling to the pastoral ministry? Mm. What What is, is most laudable, noble, 
worth praising God and rejoicing in that you get to do because of that occupation? Wow. Or you get to experience. Sure. Um, Being a pastor allows me to um, study and teach and proclaim His Word, Hmm. which is living and powerful and active and life-changing by His Spirit. So um, we live in a world that has a lot of moving parts and all kind of things that people – but God's Word is still what changes people in eternal ways. Hmm. And again, that's a privilege to be able to, to study and to teach the Word of God. And then to love people and to do life with them, it's, that's not easy and it's messy and can be um, heartbreaking at times. But the upside for me is that there's those times, but there's a lot of the other times yeah. where you get to, to cry with them in a good way or mm-hmm. laugh with them or celebrate or to watch them grow and change over time. I'm yeah. so thankful God's given us longevity in the ministry in this one place where we, by God's grace, have seen Him just work in families and in our community in some really significant ways. So that gives me great joy. Um, those would be, and that sounds really simple. I remember when I yeah. went to this church 28 plus years ago, I sat down with a man who knew the church and he was a pastor. And in a real quick conversation, I said, so what do they need? What do they, what do they need? Here's what he said. He said they need somebody that's going to teach the Bible and is going to really love them mm. with all they have. Mm. And I thought, well, I went to Dallas Seminary. I, th- I think I can teach the Bible. And by God's grace, I think I can love them. And that those 28 years later would probably be the two things I enjoy the most about ministry. Well, I mean, that dovetails with everything in Scripture that talks about uh, certainly the pastor role of being a shepherd. You, you provide for your people, you feed them, and you protect them. Right. And you help them grow, and you're right there with them, and they know your voice. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, you know my voice. Mm-hmm. You, they get to know their pastor's voice, and that that is a, a blessing. And I, I guess you've been at this church long enough to see that that extends through generations. Right. Which right. is which is great. It's it's a great blessing to see um, have a wedding. Just as there's and, generational and there, sin, there's yeah, generational yeah, and grace, there, and, and there is generational sin, and there's yeah, cycles of, right. of evil. But you but, can break that, and, then, yeah, and then introduce God, grace. God, God can, and yeah. um, just what what He's done, and, and it's His power, it's His Spirit, it's His Word. But again, that He allows us to have a part in that, hmm. and, and and a voice in that His voice to share is is a great blessing. Really, really privileged. Hmm. Stephen, what would you yeah, say? Yeah, I sometimes say, you know, upside. it's nice to be paid to <laughs> to study the Word. And uh-huh. I say to my students, I'd probably do it even if they didn't pay me, but don't go and yeah, tell the president exactly. of That's Dallas right. that because I do need to eat. But, you we'll know, that I, I agree with Kevin. You know, the Word and, and seeing people's lives change. And because of the ministry that I'm in here uh, at Dallas and also at a local church where there's a, a multi-pastor uh, church, the relationships you have with other people in the ministry, that may not always be possible, but in most places you can have a really good relationship with others who are ministering in the same way, facing some of the same challenges, mm. and have a, a fellow pastor who can share his wisdom, not in competition with him, but just in him loving you and wanting you to do best. That, that's been a tremendous uh, blessing in my life to have faculty members, you know, mm-hmm. who who love on me. And, you know, I preached in chapel recently, 
and people say, well, aren't you nervous about the other professors there? And I say, well, tell you the truth, I am a little bit, but they're almost always the most encouraging afterwards. Wow. Your you know, because th- Yeah, That's and great. they love the Word, and it's so nice to see them with their Bibles, and they want to... I know when I go to place, I want to be fed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not there to criticize. And so it's been a wonderful experience for me to have other people in the ministry that I'm mm-hmm. close to. Mm-hmm. Let me ask a question that I suspect may be a hot button. Uh, we call your department the Bible Exposition Department. Yes. And I look out across the landscape of the certainly the American church today. It is my perception, correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I am wrong, but is my perception that in many, many quarters and unfortunately in increasing numbers of churches, expository preaching is sort of viewed as, oh, that's kind of old school. We don't really need that anymore. Or Too not, academic. It's too academic, and it's not relevant. It's not going to meet people's needs. It's not going to draw people. It's not going to hold people. How do you all respond to that? I think I know, but I'm, what, what is the response? <laughs> you go first, Dr. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I just think, as we've been talking, the Word of God changes people's lives. and There's it's power not, in it. It's not my opinion, right. and uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, I'm not creative enough to come up with a new topic every week. I like to work with good material, and the 66 books are, are good. And Dallas Seminary, from the very beginning, said, our, we want our graduates to have studied all 66. Now, we can't do them in great depth, but to be aware of what's in there, mm. and it seems to me that that gives you a, a broad ministry. And I, I say to some of our students, you know, it is possible to bore people with the Word of God, but you've got to work really hard at that because <laughs> it's alive. And and if we don't show the relevancy of it, then, of course, it can become boring. But nothing like going through the Word, chapter after chapter, mm. uh, book after book, because it doesn't grow churches quickly but it grows them deep and solid. And a lot of the the churches that they're trying to start, they want to start with a bang, and what you attract them with is what you kind of have to keep them with. And uh, people get used to fast food and everything prepared for them, and they become a consumer. And to call people to to a meal and to have to think and evaluate and be like the Bereans, you know, search the scriptures themselves. It seems to me that that grows the church deep, and it's not what the church is after two or three years. It's what it is after 20 years to find out if you've really, if people have grown deep. And I think it's the Word of God, exposure to the Word of God consistently, uh, chapter by chapter. You can't miss anything. You can't skip over anything. Mm-hmm. It's there. And I believe that God's Word um, is, is relevant not only when it was written, it's relevant for all time. It, mm-hmm. It's inspired. And therefore, if we give them the Word, it will meet people's needs. It will meet people's needs. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was just going to, I think uh, Chip Ingram was here last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I listened to that message. One of the quotes I believe from when he was here was, it's not how many people come in, it's what kind of people go out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is a great quote. I mean, mm-hmm. we can attract people with maybe a lot of things, but but what difference has it made? And God's Word makes a difference. Jesus makes a difference, and His, his Spirit grows people by His Word. And it's written... Um, Line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and that's how it should be should be taught. And then God does what He does. 
that's what the way we read books. We start at the beginning and we go through. And right. like each chapter makes a contribution. And just to jump around in a book, you, you might get something out of that sentence or something, but it's not in context. And so, mm-hmm. you know, exposition is, is just trying to really expose what the truth of the scripture is, what the meaning is, mm-hmm. and it's best to be done in context. And so, you know, we're trying to teach our students that this is what uh, our world needs, and I believe it is. You know, we want to teach truth and love well around here, but we do need to teach truth, and mm-hmm. uh, we need to teach truth that w- will last. Mm-hmm. Well, what I hear you guys saying is we've got this text that God has given us in the Bible, and yeah, it's in a couple of different languages at least that, you know, we don't speak, and so we've got to translate and and yeah, you know, it was a, a different era when these cultures lived, and and that's you need some translation contextually. So there's there's some challenge there. But what I hear you saying is, but if you get it, if you get what's in this thing, if if what if you get what this is saying, there's a power in it that will change your life mm-hmm. for the better, mm-hmm. for the way that God says is the way of life. That that's what I hear you saying, and and, and, and that's. Yeah. And for all the differences, yeah, yeah, and for all the differences, you know, I, I, I say, you know, God knew that His Word was going to be translated into many different languages, and He knew this Word had to be relevant to many different cultures and societies. You know, the 20th century doesn't surprise God. You know, right. a ministry in China doesn't surprise God. So I believe that He's given us His Word in such a way that even without knowing a great deal of background, even without knowing the original language, as long as it's been translated very accurately, uh, this Word can be read in different languages and in different cultures, and it can change people's lives. To know what we should believe and how we should act is clear. And to get into some of the, the minor points is, right. is not helpful. Yeah. But, but, but the word, I think, is, is clear. And uh, we just need to preach it. We just need to let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as, and you know my dad used to talk about the problem that we, we saw when we major in the minors. Mm-hmm. It's those issues that, frankly, are so in the backwaters of, you know, the essence of of the gospel and Christian living and what Jesus taught, and yet we magnify them as this divides churches. This is what we're willing to die. This is the hill we're willing to die on. This is what we write books on and have conferences on. And meanwhile, you know. The the particularly I think of so many of the portions of of the epistles that you know be kind to one another, love one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other as I've forgiven you, mm-hmm. be be one in mind, uh, prefer others, you know their interests more important than your own. I mean, it's it sounds simple, but that's like the majors, as it were, that flow out of all of that rich doctrine that we have in the other parts of the epistles. You know, and all those minor things, <clears throat> God spoke about them, so they're, yeah, they're valuable. They're and I think when you're doing exposition, they just fit in properly. It's only when you kind of pull them out of, of the passage that mm-hmm. can become a, a, a real mm-hmm. uh, point of contention. But, you know, when you're reading it within the context, uh, it, it makes sense in the context. And now we can misapply it or something like that. But it seems to me that solution to a lot of this is just going through the Word, going through the Word. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So 
um, the great thing about teaching expositionally is you're going to you're going to deal with issues that you'd rather not, mm-hmm. but they do fit in the greater context of the book and the scripture that it doesn't stand on its head if you pull out a one sermon on hey today we're going to talk about this crazy issue that divides people people come and leave without hearing the rest of the story which is going to emphasize mm-hmm. there's a god who's real there's a savior who saves um, right. he wants to and this issue fits in to some argument and context in the book where it really does fit mm-hmm. so i, I want to come back to the you know the, the issue we started with on calling uh, in the time we have left um, so I'm thinking about young Timothy there in the New Testament in Ephesus. And you read between the lines, you get the sense that, you know, he, he was a timid person to begin with, maybe shy, certainly not a dominant personality. We don't know anything really, I guess, about his dad, so maybe he didn't have a dad. Maybe that contributed to things. I don't know. But it's clear that Paul had been that uh, Dr. Talley to him and hmm. said, Timothy, I want you to be a pastor here in Ephesus. I believe God's called you to – in fact, I'm going to lay hands on you and, and you know, impart that, that grace and uh, that calling. And, and then even after being in that role, it's clear, hey, don't let anybody look down on your youth, you know. Timothy sounds like he had some doubts, like so many pastors apparently are having these days. Um, so I'd be curious, Kevin, your thoughts on, you know, how do we call young people into the pastorate, and how do we help those who are once in it beginning to have doubts, saying, I don't know, man, I'm not sure this is for me. I don't think I have what it takes. I'm not mm-hmm. sure I want to give it what it's taking. Maybe this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. I think young people, we've had um, some young men come through and that's been one of the joys of my life is to have a young guy go I think I think God's got ministry in my future and so for us in our context it's been um, and of course our church is not you know we're not a mega church so we, we can rally around those right. guys and we can I grew up in a church of about a hundred that got smaller every year as people passed away mm-hmm. and I was kind of their project because I was <laughs> headed to Bible college and so Good and bad, they'd say, "How are you doing? I'm praying for you." Or, "Are you better be studying?" I mean, they would come and and so in one, we need some people. We need to encourage those young people. We need to find out what's going on and pray for them and um, really try to walk alongside them in that process because it's easy to get distracted. Um, it's easy to get discouraged. So for young people, I would say it's just investing and keeping your finger on the pulse mm-hmm. of what God's doing in their life. For guys in the ministry that are struggling, sometimes um, Dr. Bramer mentioned having contemporaries and peers. Yes. I think that's that's key because if if somebody recognize somebody might recognize in me that I'm struggling before most anybody else, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. if I have somebody attentive, they can call me aside, encourage me, pray with me, and maybe help me realize what what I need, which may be to step back. Maybe I need to step. Maybe I need a month out. Maybe yeah. I need six months out. But if I don't have that person and I'm continuing to grind, continuing to grind and push, sometimes that's when the wheels come off, yeah. um, and I, I just step out like this this fella. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for being 
in this conversation today, this has gone fast. But it's a, it's a critical topic. Uh, I agree that the pastorate is a very high calling, a very noble calling, because as pastors go, churches go. Without, without solid pastors, it's hard to have a solid congregation. Seems to me, notwithstanding the Plymouth Brethren background you came from. <laughs> well, they're changing to a, Well, you, know, like, you may not have had formal <laughs> pastors, but you had they, people in the role. The of elders pastors. knew the word and so, preached the oh, word. Sure. It was wonderful. I don't want to get wonderful. into the you know, ecclesiological <laughs> governance of, of the whole thing, but uh, you take the point. Um, thank you for being with us. Thank oh, you thank for being you, in Bill. Dallas and letting us talk with you, Kevin. Oh, it's been an honor. Appreciate Stephen, again, it. Thank you, Bill, for having me. Representing the great. department. And I want to thank you for joining us today on the Table podcast where we discuss issues of God and culture. You may know a pastor who is struggling uh, in their calling right now, and this would be a great podcast for you to send them the link to. Uh, and we would certainly encourage you to uh, subscribe to the Table podcast at whatever subscription service that you have. Uh, we come out weekly with uh, a new Table podcast on yet another topic of God and culture. So thanks again for being with us. And for the Table podcast, I'm Bill Hendricks. Thanks for listening to the Table podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.